0: Hello and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. I want to thank you all for joining us on the latest episode. My name is Mike Jefferson. I am a program manager here at the Greater Des Moines Partnership and host of this awesome show. Maybe a little self-promotion there to get us started. It's okay. Um, if this is your first time listening, thank you for for tuning in. And if you are coming back for from other episodes of this podcast, uh, appreciate you and, uh, and your support for the podcast. Today's guest... She's the current um, operations factory manager at John Deere Des Moines Works. Roz Fox joins us today. Roz, how are we doing?
1: Hey, Mike. I am good. It's good to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to having our discussion today. And let me first say thanks for the opportunity. I, I haven't done very many of these, and so um, I'm excited and nervous, and yet uh, hoping that I can share some good nuggets with our audience today.
0: Uh, absolutely, and I promise I won't, be, I won't be too hard on you. I promise. All right. So uh, to get us started, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, a background about yourself?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, how far do you want me to go back, Mike? I can go back to uh, uh, where I was born and raised or just sort of last 10 years, Um, 15
0: years. Maybe just a a few things from from each, just kind of how you started and then, you know, kind of to where you are today.
1: Yep. Okay, sure. So uh, I'm an engineer by degree. So I have an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering and a master's in industrial engineering. And I later got my executive MBA from Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University, um, several years after that. Uh, so I've worked in, uh, for three different uh, Fortune 100 companies. I've worked for 3M Company, headquartered in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. I've worked for Fort Mortar Company, headquartered in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, now with Deer for the last fifteen years of my career, and while I've been with Deer, I've worked in several roles, but mostly in operations. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, I'm currently leading the Des Moines Works factory here in Ankeny. And prior to this role, I led a smaller factory in Fuquay North Carolina, where we produce commercial and golf equipment. So, fifteen years with Deer. Um, Worked in again, worked in various roles in operations. I have also worked in uh, human resources, leading our global diversity and inclusion efforts within John Deere. I have done engineering uh, work in prior years as well. So, kind of a varied career here.
0: Okay. So, now how long have you been the factory manager at um, Des Moines Works?
1: I've been here five years, yeah. So I came in uh, the fall of 2016.
0: So I just missed you because I was on a contract in HR um, up until oof. Wasn't on. Time flies. Maybe 13 or 14. So our our paths just just missed. So I'm I'm quite familiar with the uh, the the factory there at Des Moines Works. Um, if I still recall, they have some pretty good snacks in the uh, lunchroom there.
1: good. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, my, my room was very very nice. I, I'm
0: if I say myself. <laughs> <laughs> so now the reason why we have you on today is is just like with a, a lot of other um, of our former guests. You know, we talk about um, challenging times and how how leaders pr- um, progress through those times at their organizations and with their teams. Talk about, I guess normally like so. You know, we would t- we would talk about COVID first, but I want to touch on a different thing because obviously since it's uh, just a podcast without video. Uh, for people that don't know you, um, you're African-American and we're talking about you're leading a factory in the ag industry. You do not hear those terms together on a on a normal basis. So I'm guessing, not assuming, just guessing, and I'll let you get into that, that there have been some challenges uh, that come along with that as, as you have progressed through your career. And I would like you, if possible, to share some of those um especially now as we get into the times of aspiring young um, girls of color that maybe aspire to be the next Ross Fox and beyond. So maybe talk about some of the challenges that you faced coming up during this time.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So you're right. You know, uh, you know, it's interesting. um, When I meet people and they, they, uh, and they ask what I do, and I tell them I work for John Deere. And they say, "Well, what do you do? I lead I lead a factory." And They're like, "What?" <laughs> you know, it's an, it's an immediate. Uh-huh. There is a reaction there. People are not expecting to hear that from me being a black female. But um, in terms of challenges. Um, you know, and I would say even before stepping into this role, uh, leading one of our largest factories within John Deere, just being a woman in, in engineering in general is not common. You know, engineering is very much a male-dominated uh, career field. And I even remember when I was in college back at the University of Missouri-Columbia, um, you know that campus on that campus in the engineering school, they didn't even have bathrooms for women. <laughs> that's that's how un- unexpected it was for women to go into the engineering curriculum. And so, obviously, that has certainly since changed. But you know, at the at the start and the construction of the of the engineering curriculum um, at the university, there there weren't bathrooms for girls. And so, but it, even even when I was going through college in the nineties. There was only four, four girls majoring in engineering, um, at least in the electrical engineering discipline. And, uh, of course, we all knew each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think nowadays, though, you go, if I went on the campus, you'll see so many more. And I think that's because of all the great work that, you know, organizations and nonprofits and companies have been doing to get uh, more females and more minorities interested in STEM STEM curriculums and in engineering in particular. But as it relates to this role as a factory manager and um, being a, a black female factory manager, you know, uh, I grew up in St. Louis. I, I, I'm born and raised from St. Louis, Missouri, and so I did not grow up on a farm, which for some folks, that's strike number one, right? Uh-huh. Cause when you work in, when you work in John Deere, your badge of honor is you grew up on a farm, you know, you got John Deere equipment, you know, you're third generation <laughs> farmer and all that. And Absolutely. so, you know, that is, that is how you earn your credibility and strikes within John Deere. And so being this, this black girl from St. Louis who grew up in, in you know, near the city of St. Louis, not growing up on the farm, you know, I did not have that immediate credibility that some people felt was required um, leading a facility like this. And so, you know, while I've been at, before coming to this job, I had already been with Deer for 10 years, um, you know, I started off in construction and forestry and I'd spent some time in HR and then spent some time in our turf division. And and, and in each of those areas, I didn't have exposure to the ag industry. And so when I came into this job here in Ankeny, I literally had to learn uh, the production system in terms of, you know, tilling soil and and, and spraying nutrients and, you know, harvesting and all those different steps that are required to have um, a successful harvest. I really had to to learn those things. And that, um, you know... uh, made me feel very vulnerable, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a black woman, um, you know that you have to bring your A game into any situation just because you always feel like you're under the microscope and you always feel like you haven't approved yourself. And so, you know, um, and so that kind of uh, was a challenge right out the shoot when I came into this role in terms of, um being vulnerable enough to ask for help to understand and learn uh, what I need to learn to be successful and understanding how our machines are used out in the field. And that's one thing that's unique about this particular factory. We actually make a machine that is used in each of the major steps of the production systems uh, process from we produce tillage tillage equipment and we produce sprayers that spray nutrients and herbicides and and, um things like that um and we also produce cotton harvesting machines which are used to harvest cotton and so you know you kind of have to figure out how all those things connect together um when it comes to farming uh operations and so uh and so, yeah, so, you know, I feel like there was a little bit of an imposter syndrome that possibly could have been at play there because uh, while I didn't know uh, those basics in terms of forming operations, you know, I, I felt a little bit uh, like a fraud because I, I, there was that fear and that unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that I had to quickly get up to speed and, and ask for help and uh, learn about those things to be successful in this role. And so even in this role, though, you know, it's interesting, we have, we do public tours here, we we have uh, customers that come from all over the world uh, to tour our factory and you know when I and I go and I meet them and I I say hi you know my name is Rosalind Fox and and I'm the factory manager and and the reaction is of shock literally of shock and they go well what part of the factory do you have (laughs)
0: like the whole thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) I got the whole thing from the rotor to the tutor I mean like this is (laughs) this is you know I have the whole thing and and so and then if it's not that sort of a question is oh well what do you what's your background you know as if I have to just Right. why and how I got to this role. And so, you know, when I explain to you, yes, I have a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, I have a master's in degree in industrial engineering and executive MBA. What else do you, what else do you need? And so, you know, it's those
0: Do you feel like you need to just have a t-shirt on <laughs> with all that stuff on it?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I really hate having to say those things because, you know, um, People who make decisions to put me here have seen uh, skills and capability that enable me to get this position, and so the degrees and the pedigrees and all that really shouldn't matter. But people feel uh, like I have to validate why I am in this position, and that you know, it's it's draining. It is, um, you know, it's, it's draining, uh, and it it sucks away the energy. Uh, again, and then goes back into, plays into this imposter syndrome where you feel like, you know, uh, almost as though you're a fraud because people don't think that you should have the job, right? Um, right. and so, right. you know, the thing that I do to combat that is just know that I have to perform well. This factory has to perform well. And, and, um, and, uh, you look at our metrics, uh, while I've been here, everything has, everything from our safety to our quality, um, you know, our delivery and and our employee engagement, every metric on is on point and has improved since I've been here. And so to me, those, (laughs) those are the things that, that um, as a black woman, you know, you kind of always feel like uh, your performance has to speak for itself. You have to, you know, you have to demonstrate while you're, while you're in that role. And, and and quite frankly, I don't think that our, our white, my white counterparts have that sort of I mean, we all have to perform. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have that added pressure to prove themselves um, and have to expend that extra energy in, in that, in that space. You know what I'm saying? Mike, I'm not sure if I'm Mm -hmm. being clear here, Mm -hmm. but.
0: Nope. I, I, I hear you 100%. So now do you think now, especially since your, your metrics have improved and increased, do you think that's starting to give you the credibility to where people now, especially around the factory are like, all right, she gets it. We we're 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 all in now. Is that how is that how things are going for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually it's probably I think I think the momentum has shifted the last couple of years to be quite honest. In twenty nineteen we had our, our our best year ever and from a record uh financial performance perspective. And um we, this year we're celebrating our best safety performance in the factory's history. And so, you know, there have been these, you know, these milestones that have been happening over the last couple of years that has really started to, I think really con- not convince people, but uh, have reaffirmed the fact that I deserve to be here and that I'm capable and, um, and leading this facility and um, improving the business.
0: So now to shift, um, because like I said, we, 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 we're going to talk about COVID because it's, it's there. It's not, you know, it's been there for the last, what, 14, 15 months. And I know um, your organization obviously was affected with that too, with being able to get into the factory and create machines and things like that. Maybe talk about and, or give us some some nuggets on how you were able to lead those teams uh, there at the factory. And, you know, cause I'm sure you had to make, uh, you know, and feel free to ex- expand on this. Uh, quite a few pivots, um, given the nature of of what everything was that was happening around um, with with COVID. So maybe talk about that a little bit and how you led those teams through that that challenging and this <laughs> challenging yeah, time. Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, I, I would tell you first off, this is a time that I won't forget, and I think it really shapes you as a leader, and really it 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 um, basically brings to surface who you are as a leader, or it. Could- <laughs> <laughs> you know, tell you what you really need to work on as a leader. And so, you know, at the start of COVID, it was obviously a lot of unknowns for all of us, really, uh, not understanding, right. you know, uh, how you contract a virus, uh, a virus and, or, or, uh, how to prevent it and all those things. And, you know, our CEO, John May, had, he was adamant that we need to keep our factories running, not because of the profitability or success of the company, but truly because, our products support food supply for the entire world, right? Our mm-hmm. farmers still need to have their machines. They still need to be able to plant and, and harvest crops. And, you know, without that, you know, we would have so many other issues aside from COVID that we would need to fight. And so, you know, going, going into this situation, knowing that we had to keep our factories operating successfully was a daunting task in itself, especially when you think about the, some other manufacturer industries, like the auto industry, who literally shut down their factories to retool and to mm-hmm. really get themselves set up to bring their workforce in, workforce in and be able to do it safely. We didn't. We weren't afforded that opportunity. We had to figure out on the fly how to keep our operations running while keeping our employees safe at the same time. And so, you know, uh, one thing about being an engineer is we problem solve, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. sort of, and most of my team is made up of, of engineers. And so, uh, we, we problem solve and we know processes and standardization are our friends when it comes to operations. And so, <laughs> that's basically what we, that's the mode that we went into we we we've always had um, an IRT, an incident response team, and we've always had these tabletop exercises where we would we do exercises and prepare ourselves for any situations, whether it's an active shooter, or whether it's a pandemic, or whether it's a, uh, a severely injured employee. We do these tabletop exercises so that we know how to respond and react and be efficient at it, and so with all the practice in the world still never prepared us (laughs) for to experience COVID. Right. right? But, um, we did have, there were, there were some, some standardization things that we knew we had to do, get our IRT activated, you know, set up a daily cadence of meetings, um, you know, daily and uh, weekly meetings with our corporate counterparts and with our, um, we, we, the company put, uh, got us, uh, uh, epidemiologist from the CDC on retainer. And so, you know, all these things, we, you know, we fell into standardization, fell into process in terms of how we were learning and getting educated and, uh, and what we need to do to keep our factories and employees safe and operational. And so we followed that cadence. And so there were days where we, we met we met uh, two and three times a day, and there were some some weekends where we had to have IRT meetings to discuss something that happened, whether it's a positive case or you know a decision had been made and we need to change things for Monday, uh, start our production. And so, um, so you know, you just you just kind of uh, identify processes, standard procedures to help you implement the change that you need to happen, and then you also realize during that process, you also have to communicate with the employees themselves, right? So they want to know, you know, why are we here every day when the auto industry is shut down and we have to, you know, I had to explain, you know, listen, we're part of the, the food supply and it's important that we keep our customers running. And so you know, communicating with them on a regular basis and, and, and a daily basis. They want to know, you know, when we have positive COVID cases and what building that they work in this on my campus, we have 17 different buildings. Right. And so, you know, a, an employee that works in building six, uh, you know, will not be as concerned if there's a positive case with a employee that's in building 40. Right. And so, you know, we, we right. were very, uh, uh, wanting to partner with them and, and, and gain and gain their trust by sharing as much information we could without getting to privacy issues. And so Mike, I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, we just, we sort of just moved into standard standardizing and moving into process, um, making sure that we did all the right things and, um, that, that, uh, would help keep our employees safe and keep us operational while communicating at the same time. We also took a big step and um, asked our salary, a good portion of our salary workforce work to work remotely to, uh, you know, prevent uh, or minimize the risk of exposure here um, at the factory. Now, and there are some folks whose job who are tied to operations can't work remotely, but we out of our 700 employees, we probably had 400 450 employees who began to work remotely during that time. And that that worked out really well as well. And it just kind of gave us a space for those of us who needed to be here every day to uh, be more confident that, um, you know, we would have minimal transmission if there was a situation came uh, where somebody tested po- positive here in the office. Um, and, and then also learning that I had to communicate with those folks. So they're not here physically, but they want to know what's still going on with the factory. And so, you know, figuring out how do we communicate with them differently? Normally we would do in-person all-employee meetings. We had to pivot and, and do virtual all-employee meetings and, and, you know, learning how to do that as well and all of that and keeping people motivated and inspired to come to work like, every day. Right? <laughs> right. You know, I, <laughs> I still have to, you know, as a leader still have to keep people inspired and wanting to do the great work, um, to keep our, our, factories up and running. So it was, a, it was definitely a challenging time. And again, you know, I think I learned a lot about myself as a leader, um, during that time and, uh, you know, uh, there definitely were some stumbles, but I think there were more wins than there were, were um, during the process than, than not. So I'm very proud of the fact that we came out of this with uh, a, a very healthy employee base and uh, not having lost um, any of our employee lives and no, no really severe reactions or severe cases of COVID. Um, and uh, we've still delivered to our customers on time. So
0: Good. Good. Well, I'm glad you've been able to uh, to have those things happen for you in, in a positive light, especially, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the responsibility that you guys do have in, as, an or, as an organization, um, you know, with helping with food supply and whatnot. So um, props to you for that. Um, switching ever so slightly, we've talked enough about challenges now. I, I do have a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. You, you talk about, you've talked about being a leader and having to pivot and uh, keeping employees inspired and motivated and delivering and all of these things. How do you turn that switch off at the end of the day to be able to recharge? What are some of the things you do? And, and I, think, I think this is important for aspiring and even current leaders to hear because, you know, so many times you have to go, 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 go in 15,000 directions. But you, at the end of the day, you're a person as well and and there's a lot of emotion and and things that that you have to carry so how do you how do you maintain that how do you keep that going so you can come back to work Day in and day out, year year after year, to perform at a high level and keep your yeah, sanity. They,
1: yeah, very good question. So, you know, I I use all my vacation. <laughs> so, you know, well. Side,
0: sidebar: You might be you might be the first you might be the first person that's actually in your position to admit that they use all. it. And I appreciate that wholeheartedly. Yeah, for, doing for sure.
1: That. You know, uh, I, I probably didn't use it all during COVID because you know. Wasn't very many places to go, <laughs> but um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, in normal times, I use all my vacation, and I, I encourage my team to do the same, you know. And uh, you know, I there is nothing more important than your mental well being, and uh, you know, and if I need a mental, uh, uh, I would tell you at the start of the job, I was afraid to take a a, a mental day if I needed it, but. Now if I need a mental day, I tell my team, y'all, I need I'm taking this afternoon off. I need I need to take this mental time to take care of myself. And, you know, I just think that's just a healthy way to lean by example, right? Because, you know, there is burnout, particularly in operations. It can be a a, a difficult uh um, field to um work in because the demands are so uh, challenging, you know, long hours, you know, you've got to deliver on time, you got, you know, people issues, you got part availability issues. There's just a number of challenges that you're fighting through on a daily basis. And one day is different than the next. And so I am all about, um, self-care. And so I personally love to go on vacation. I love to travel the world. And in fact, I just got back from a lovely vacation to, um, to Grenada. My husband and I were on vacation for a week and, um, You know that's really where I sort of am able to recharge. And again, if I need a mental day here or there, you know my team is absolutely um, capable and outstanding team. Where uh, you know if I need to leave and you know go handle something, I am fully confident that they will keep the factory running as needed. Matter of fact, they they run it they run it already. I'm just here for the the fluff (laughs) they do all all the hard work I I, you know um, they do all the hard work and so I appreciate all of them um, but um, you know I just can't reiterate how important it is for people to take their vacation and that's why we are granted them from our companies because you know you Mm. you burn out you're no good to anybody right and so you need that time to recharge and and sort of um, refill your cup to go fight another day
0: well, Roz, hey, it's been it's been a pleasure having you uh, on today. This has been a, a really, really good conversation. Uh, one more thing, though, I got to ask because, you know, having, again, haven't been out there, oh, and slight plug, if, if, it, if they are open to the public and you're listening out there and you get a chance to go on a tour, I highly recommend touring the factory. It's, it's pretty awesome. And I think there have actually been a couple new buildings since I've been out there. But my question for you, Roz is what's your favorite machine out there now? And has anybody taken you out on any of those machines since you've been there?
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, first let me just uh, clear up on the, on the tourist thing. So because of COVID, we're still operating, um, with that in mind and so we're not doing public tours right now but i do think that that will resume okay. later this year so but you can always go to our website and look for information regarding our public tour opportunities we are uh, bringing in our gold key tours starting um the first week in august and our gold keys are people who purchase our machines and want to come and start their machine um uh during mm-hmm. their visit and so those are ha- well, those will resume august 2nd and then public tours will be later down down the road. Through. But we would love to have anyone that's interested in coming to tour the factory in the future once those uh, opportunities open back up. And so the machines that we make here, you asked me, I can't, I can't, you know, that's like asking a mother who's her favorite child. So I can't say... <laughs>
0: I didn't say you had to have a favorite. I I asked you if, if anybody's taken you out on. Have you ridden in oh, any yes, of them?
1: All the time, yes, of course. And you know, it's 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 amazing. It's always amazing when I get behind the wheel of one because when you when you come here and you see how our machines start from a flat piece of sheet metal and and is transformed yeah. into these behemoth yeah. machines. I mean, it's so so rewarding and so so much pride associated with that and so yeah they don't let me get behind the wheel too much but i have have been in the cabs and have gone for rides in them for sure so you know we have a very nice um uh aims uh lab in Ames where we've got plenty of acres where we take our machines and and test them out we actually have some acres here that we do uh some testing on as well and some wet mm-hmm. and dry and prove out as well here on the site here as well but yeah i've been in the plenty of times for sure
0: <laughs> well that's cool hey uh again want to thank you for for joining us on the leading in times of challenge podcast uh we'll let you get back to it I Know you're pretty busy um hopefully we can con- continue our conversation sometime love to you know get together with you when all this is whatever lift it up uh, but love to hear more about your story and uh yeah we'll we'll be in touch
1: thanks mike i appreciate the opportunity and i look forward to connecting with you in the future
0: Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit DSMPartnership.com.